Welcome, folks, to the Andy Social Podcast. My name is Andy Dowling, and it's time to give some props. You know the drill. Each and every week, I do a shout-out for somebody that supports me, supports one of the podcasts, whether it be Andy Social or Self Starter, or even the band Lord. And it can be in a range of different ways. It could be shooting me a message uh, of encouragement. It could be suggesting some guests. It could be buying merchandise, such as T-shirts, USB passes, patches from the Andy Social store. It could be buying some Lord merch. It could be leaving reviews somewhere on the internet. It could be just a bit of social media love and spreading the word about everything that I'm involved with. It all goes a long way, and it means a hell of a lot to me. So this week's shout-out is for Jeremy Mutton. Jeremy Mutton is from Griffith in New South Wales. And uh, Jeremy's bought a USB pass. And I think, uh, from my understanding, uh, Jeremy, you're a, a fairly new listener to the podcast, and you've gone and picked up the USB pass to, um, to go, I guess, play a bit of catch-up. So for anybody that doesn't know, the USB pass has the first 100 episodes of the Andy Social Podcast on there. Um, in the future, sometime down the track, I haven't quite really, I haven't really verbalized this a great deal. It's been in my head, but I'm going to eventually take a number of the original episodes offline and just make them available via um, like a $1 download or um, sort of a bulk purchase like these USB passes. So they're um, just to, I guess, give a little bit of a, an exclusive feeling to people that are supporting this podcast because I really want to give as much value as I can. Um, but I'll probably wait until I get a few more episodes under the belt first before I do that. So maybe, maybe after episode 200 or, or 250 or 300, I'll, I'll start doing that. But nonetheless, um, the USB pass is a really, really cool, uh, thing that people can purchase where it just saves on data. All the episodes is, I don't know how many, there's probably like 160 hours worth of, chit chat and dribble on there. Um, but it's a great way you can plug it into your car. It's like wallet size USB pass. So it can fit into your wallet if you wanted to. It's easy to travel with. Um, it's great for flights as well. So if you want to listen to stuff while you're traveling, um, and you don't want to use, you know, data, if you, especially if you're overseas traveling, blah, 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 you know, the drill. Um, so Jeremy, thank you so much for buying the pass. Uh, good luck catching up. There's a lot of stuff there. And uh, some of the earlier episodes are quite cringeworthy at times. But um, yeah, I'm really proud of uh, where I've got to over, over the last few years with this podcast. So enjoy. Thank you so much for supporting. And please shoot me a message and I will send something else out to you in the post. Um, I've got a few really cool things, some uh, great CDs from awesome musicians in this country who've donated some amazing uh, giveaways for this podcast. So uh, please shoot me a message and I'll I'll get some stuff out to you very, very shortly. So cheers. And thank you to everybody else that continues to support me and everything that I'm involved with. It means a hell of a lot. Cheers. Guess what, folks? I play in a heavy metal band. I'm a heavy metal warrior. If you love heavy metal or you just want a bit of a sticky beat, go over to lord.net.au and you can check out our website, which is, I was going to say brand new, but it's been up for a couple of months now. I think it's pretty good. I can't stop talking about it. Tim did a fantastic job on this website. If you want to get a taste of what we're all about and this band that I'm involved with, go to lord.net.au. There's streaming music. There's all of our video clips. There's our whole back catalog. There is merchandise. There's just lots of easy and really fun ways to discover our music. So go to lord.net.au. Go and check it out. Let me know what you think as well. In addition to play to me playing in a heavy metal band, I also host the Self Starter Podcast, which is all about small business, self-employment, and freelancing. So depending on you know where you are in your journey in life, whether you are working a job that you absolutely hate and you want to get out of it, or you want to earn a little bit of pocket money, or maybe you are just starting or you have your own small business, go and check out selfstarter.com.au. 
I've got a fortnightly podcast that comes out. Also got a blog, heaps of resources. Um, and I really, really appreciate all the support that you guys have given me so far with that podcast. Please search for it in your podcast player that you're listening to this through right now. If it's not there, let me know. I'm trying to get it everywhere. But um, thank you, thank you, thank you for the support. And uh, yes, and for Lord as well. So lord.net.au, selfstarter.com.au. Thank you, folks. This week's episode is with Carl Hutenmeister. Carl is a prosthetic technician, a musician, and an artist. He's a jack of all trades. Um, and I, I say that lightly. This guy does a million different things. It's just absolutely incredible. But um, probably the most important aspect um, of Carl's story is his work in prosthetics and something that um, was the initial attraction that I had because um, I found his page. And I must give props to James Straker who's been on the podcast previously, um, hi James, who went and liked Carl's page and it showed up in my newsfeed and Carl's page is called I Make Prosthetics. And I thought, all right, I'm going to have to click on this. What's this all about? And sure enough, it's literally what the title says. And, you know, Carl's been doing this for the last couple of decades, creating, you know, prosthetic limbs for amputees. Um, and he's just been doing amazing work. And you don't really understand what people do. I mean, this is a very dumb thing to say, but you don't really understand what people do until you actually really dig, sit down and dig into things. And, and, um, the work that he does is absolutely incredible. Um, you know, the skill level involved is incredible, but also the emotional element of his work is just, it's very intense and I love it. And I think he's got an amazing story. He has helped so many people over the years. He's had, he's been a direct, uh, he's had direct impact on so many people's lives. And I think that's just absolutely incredible and, and massive props to, to Carl and all the work that he does. But um, Carl also plays in what feels like a million different bands. Um, he's also an artist, so he creates a lot of um, sculpture art and he's doing a bunch of different things. Um, I was going to run through all the links, but he has so many different links, it's not funny. So um, go into the show notes over at ndsocial.net. You can click on the show notes. I've dumped everything in there. There's some uh, music videos, there's some uh, photos, there's links to everything that he's involved with. Um, you can search for his name on Facebook and you'll find um, his artist page, his um, art, um, his prosthetic uh, page as well on Facebook. And there's just so much content there. Uh, this guy is just, um, he's just a workhorse. And we spend a bit of time in this conversation talking about how the hell he balances his normal week of just doing all these different things. And he's got some really cool approaches, which I've taken, I've taken some pages out of his book, um, but very inspiring guy, um, really pleasant guy to talk to. And I'm looking forward to uh, catching up with him sometime down the track as well. So enough of me, as always rambling on, please enjoy this really, really cool chat with Carl Kutenmeister. I've got a bit of a, a curveball to throw at you straight away because I found this out by complete accident, and I don't know if you know, but we have we've got a connection, and it's not oh, really it's not a mutual friend on Facebook or anything like that, but I believe that we both went to the same high school. De La Salle. De La Salle and Frawley. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, nice. So what, are you what? a Redcliffe boy? Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. I, yeah. I um. I, I'm a, I'm a, I think I'm a little bit younger than you, but I went um, when it was... It, it, we still had the two campuses, but it changed its name to Southern Cross. Southern Cross, yeah. Yeah, so, um, yeah, but I was uh, I was born and raised in Redcliffe and then lived all over Queensland and then came back uh, to Redcliffe for high school. So I was just... I was doing a bit of stalking and then I saw that and went, oh, no shit. 
Oh, <laughs> uh, that's great. Small yeah. world. Yeah, we, we feel each other's pain. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure there's a couple of teachers that probably probably both had. Uh, I know I had a couple of people that um, I think they were on the uh, verge of retirement and they'd been there for, for a few decades. So no doubt we probably we probably shared a couple of uh, a couple of headaches yeah. along the way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> wow. There you yeah. go. Well, um, I, I'm I'm not sure exactly where to start, but I guess I'll probably just explain how I discovered you and then sort of what you do. I saw okay. James Straker, who's been on, <clears throat> pardon me, who's been on the podcast previously, pardon me, and um, I saw, you know, how you get on the Facebook feeds and you see someone likes a page. And then he goes yep. and likes this page that says, I make prosthetics. And I go, what the hell is that? <laughs> this has got to be good. And so then I click on it and then sure enough, it's, a, it's there's, there's no false advertising here. It's exactly what it says. And so I went through and I thought this is really fascinating. And then I saw a couple of articles and then I thought, well, why not? I'll, uh, I'll reach out to you. And then it was only you know this afternoon when we were having a quick chat that you, then you said, you know, well, I sort of was looking around and I noticed that you know, you play in some bands and you do some other stuff. And so I just asked for a couple of links and then you flicked me through all this other stuff. And, and I had a joke with you and just said, you know, you, you do as much stuff as James does. And James is just manic. I can't keep up with the guy. He's uh, every know, day. He's, a, he's just doing some crazy adventure. He's a machine. <laughs> he's crazy. Yeah. So, yeah. um, I guess maybe we can, we'll, we'll start with the prosthetics and then we'll we'll go off on, a, on tangents, and then we'll come back, and we'll go all over the place. But we'll just see where it takes us. But um, you've been making prosthetics for I think like since the early nineties. Yeah, ninety three for twenty five years. And how how on earth do you fall into a job like that? Do you did there was there an urge there that you thought this might be something that I might be interested in, or was it just a job opportunity that popped up and you thought, why not? Let's just give it a go. How did how did it all come to be? It was um it was a stroke of luck by someone's grave misfortune. Oh, right. So it was my neighbour lost his arm and leg in a motorcycle accident, oh. and he was just getting his arm and leg made at a place called Artificial Limbs and Appliances in Bowen Hills in Brisbane. And um, they knew that I was quite artistic and um, I was already making orthotics, so they're little insteps that go in your shoes. And um, that was sort of a weekend job. And then I, I called the the manager at this Artificial Limb place and um, he told me to come in. And I went in the next day and he showed me around and he said, well, if you like it, I'll teach you as an apprentice. And that was pretty much it. I started the next day and I was with him for 18 years. And then I moved to Melbourne. What, what, what attracted, like when, when he gave you that proposition, I mean, what, what attracted you to it? Was it just the opportunity to do an apprenticeship in general or was, was there something unique about about doing that type of work or was it the connection with your neighbor and thinking that this is going to be something with some purpose? What, like where, what, what was it? What was yeah. the idea? Well, I think ever since I was a kid, I always wanted to do special effects with mm. movies and this opportunity came up and I thought, how cool is this? You know, it could be a gateway to my dream job, which was making, you know, prosthetics 
prosthetics for aliens and all that sort of stuff in the movies. But um, it was it just gave me my fix straight away. I didn't really want to venture outside of what I'm doing now. Did that first job that you were doing in Bowen Hills, did you have a lot of sort of direct contact with the people that were going to be using these prosthetic limbs or were you sort of just in the back yeah. end? Yeah. So straight away you sort of thrown into it? Yeah, no, I I was introduced to everyone from the from the start. So I, I got to know each client and a lot of them became really good friends and they're, they're all really good friends today. Um, I've had like children from the ages two or three uh, who needed legs so they could learn to crawl before they could walk. And now they're like one of them is um, he's a swimmer in the Paralympics, actually two of them, and they actually won gold and silver. Wow. So it's really cool to see, you know, all the clients that you know just grow as well. Well, I mean, that's that's one thing that it when I when I was sort of reading up on a little little bit of it, and I guess when I read it, I, I thought, well, that makes sense, but I didn't really think about it. Was the fact that especially you know kids that need need limbs, prosthetic limbs they're continually growing. It's like buying clothes for, for children. You've got to, you know, within a few months, they've grown out of them. And so you'd have to constantly be providing, you know, a new prosthetic limb as the, as the child grows. So, yeah, you've got like that whole life journey with, with particular people. Absolutely. Children grow out of those things in six months. And it's not until they become teenagers where they start to slow down a bit, as, as you would if, if you're growing, you know. Um, yeah, and and then it, uh, an average limb would last about three years with an adult. And is that just wear and tear? Yeah. Yeah. Except for Queenslanders, geez, they're hard on them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be lucky to get a year out of it. <laughs> is it, is the material, I mean, obviously over, like since you started when you were an apprentice and where you are now and doing the work that you're doing, the the technology's changed, the, the materials have changed. Like I'm sure that what what is being provided now to people is far better than what it was in the past. And is there like is the material more durable? Are you getting a better lifespan out of stuff now compared to what it used to be? Yeah, it's been I've been really lucky catching the tail end of the old school way, which was making legs out of wood mm. and carving everything out of you know, poplar and red cedar. Yeah. And now and now I'm programming my electric hands that are robotic that use muscle sensors. It's wow. just amazing the, the technology that's advanced in, in such a short time. So, and this is where a lot of my dumb questions are going to come in. So a lot of the stuff I saw online seems to be predominantly well, not predominantly, but at least what I can see seems to be a lot of legs um, that you're that you're mm-hmm. making. Um, is that the yep. main the main thing that you're you're providing, or are you doing arms? Are you doing other things as well? Yeah, no, legs are definitely the majority of the work. Yeah. Uh, I, I think you'd probably have one arm for every twenty to thirty legs. Wow. And yeah. is that is that a is that just you know, a statistical thing as far as the, you know, uh, a sheer volume of people and it's just a, a likelihood that more 
you know, you're just going to have more clients that need need legs over arms, or is it more of a case that just what you do and what you've been doing over the years, it's more of a special specialised in in that sort of field? No, I think that the majority of the amputees are from vascular disease, so right. smokers, really. Smoking has caused, I'd say, 80, 85% of um, the work. Mm. The rest is, you know, cancer and trauma. Yeah, wow. Yeah, because um, you don't really think about it too much. I mean, you just, you just assume that, I mean... I think I read a statistic in one of the articles as well. It was something like, oh, something like eight thousand, you know, amputations a year or something like that. And that was, I think that was a couple of years ago that they that article was from. But it's just um, you just don't think about it. And I think if you're not connected to it, you don't you're not going through it yourself, or you don't know somebody that's had to go through it. Then you sort of you're really on the outside. You just you're a little bit oblivious and ignorant to to what other people have to go through. That's right. It's um. It's it's hard to to spot an amputee most of the time, especially with the legs, because most of them are wearing trousers and they're walking so well you wouldn't even know. So you pass you're probably passing a few a day, mm. uh, and and we've made up to about three hundred and eighty legs in one year. Well, and that's just in Brisbane. So you know, um, Australia wide, there's a lot. Yeah, and I also saw that over the years, I think a lot of people are gravitating away from the the lifelike looking leg as well. You know, and I think that's probably a lot of the stuff that I was reading is about the stigma changing around um, amputees and you know that sort of like the way that they're sort of perceived and, and viewed in society. And I think a lot more people are sort of um, what they're they're not afraid or hesitant to to show who they who they really are so people are sort of starting to i notice that you do a lot of design work and, and a lot of stuff that's sort of pretty out there um that's more unique and in, individualized for, for people yeah yeah it's really good i think the americans started that craze where um aesthetics were swaying more towards the artistic side and custom jobs so we do a lot of um designs on legs and prints and pictures and uh, and we polish the chrome up instead of making it look skin colored and have a cover on it so it's yeah it's it's loud and proud and they're just really really cool things what's the what's the most out there design that you've ever had to do for somebody uh i did a um a couple of legs for a little kid who's I think he's about seven or eight years old. He has both legs off below the knee. And I made, um, he was a Richmond AFL supporter. So on one side I had um, a Richmond leg with um, a guy on the front. And on the other one it was a Mario leg. <laughs> and inside, inside the lamination I put um, some lights. So they, the lights all lit up around the design and it flashed and then he'd press a button and it would play the Richmond song in that leg and on the other leg he'd press the other button that would play the Mario tune in the back I think that was probably the most fun that's that's next level that's incredible it's uh, it's not just visual it's audible as well that's incredible 
Absolutely. Yeah. Oh wow. I mean that's I mean that that's a true example of somebody being able to just to to wear their 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 passions or their their interests and the things that they like like you know just visibly and just express them out outwardly to other people you know it's not you're not just saying exactly you know, not just bringing it up in conversation you're it's 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 a part of you it's literally a part of them yeah and it's great for the kids as well because you know, I, I would imagine children back when they weren't like that would would have been teased or bullied or you know, ostracized as, as, as kids, but now all their friends want one. So it's kind of morbidly cool, but, um, yeah, they sort of talk of the town. Well, it's definitely good for the kid. Cause you know, the, the fact that they're in that position in the first place for whatever reason, and it might, you know, might just be, you know, born, you know, with, with that, um, or having to go through, you know, some level of trauma to, to remove and, you know they they've got no choice they've got to they've got to live with what they what they have and you know to be able to to be able to be accepted like that and and to have have some broader appeal with with uh with other friends and other kids i mean kids can be absolutely cruel <laughs> just from oh, yeah. from my experiences yep. being at school so you know that's it's a good sign that um you know kids are able to to get that that level of acceptance from other people that's right yeah What's the um? I was going to say, what's what's the? I mean, this might be this might take you know several hours to explain, but you know, in a very high level, general general terms, what's the process of producing a prosthetic leg for somebody? Because I assume that from what I could see, every leg would have to be completely different for that person, just due to the limb that you've got to attach it to. That's right. Yeah. First, they would um get a plaster mould made of their leg, of their stump, and we'd fill that up with plaster. and We'd modify it to allow for some areas of pressure, and then we'd make a fibreglass socket over the top of it. Um, we're using a lot of carbon fibres now, and an adapter would be um, incorporated in the, in the lamination, and that would allow us to attach a pylon underneath the socket and it's got little grub screws here and there to make adjustments to get the alignment right. Uh, it takes about 20 hours to make a leg. Wow. And yeah, the, the, I'm just, this is a really like, I've got no technical terms here, but the, the connection point between, you know, the body and, and the artificial limb, uh, because I always thought, oh, geez, it must be so uncomfortable to be able to have, you know, uh, some form of art, of, you know, some material pushing against your body all the time, you know, you and you're putting weight on on this limb. Um, what's you, you mentioned like f some sort of fiberglass material, but what's actually what's actually the material touching the the existing body? Yeah, there's there's an interface between the fiberglass and the skin and. These days we're using a silicon polyurethane liner that rolls over the stump and the pressure points in the socket are basically just underneath your kneecap mm. and then there's a little bit of pressure pushing on the back and that sort of holds you up in the socket. But pretty much it's a total contact, so you're taking weight everywhere but the majority of it is just under the knee. 
I would have assumed like years and years ago for people that would have had to, you know, have, I guess, more simpler versions of, of what, uh, what was available at the time, you would have had all sorts of you know, pressure sores and blisters and things like that, because you, you've just got skin on, on a, on a really ah. sort of hard, hard surface. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it was, um, they would have a wool sock on their stump and then it would just go into a wooden socket and that was it. Mm. And they just had to deal with it. And yeah, that was back in the day when they used metho to <laughs> fix everything. Oh, I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad I've grown up in the, in the era that I have. I mean, it's just I think I've I think uh, I've bypassed a lot of the barbaric stuff that we used to do back in back in the day. Yeah, I mean, do but you, I, oh, sorry, go. I tell you that some of the stories I've heard from the Queensland farmers on how they lost their limbs and and how they just. What they do on them is amazing. Yeah, have you got a Have you got a particular story huh. that that rings that, that comes to mind? <laughs> um, I remember one guy. He um, was he was in central Queensland somewhere. He had a big cattle station, and he was out on horseback checking a perimeter fence, and he was three kilometres from his house. Yeah, it was something like 20,000 hectares or something. Anyway, he was out on horseback and he came across a, um, a bush bee nest in a, in a gum tree. And he, it was too high for him to reach it, so he jumped on the back of his horse and he was trying to cut this beehive down and the, the bees got disturbed, obviously, and stung the horse and the horse ran off and he fell down and his arm got wedged in the fork of the tree. And he was he was hanging there for uh, he said he said it was about fifteen minutes and he realized that the only thing he could do was cut his hand off to get off. So he he, he cut his own hand off, this is a true story, and walked because um, the horse was gone, he had to walk three K back to his house and then he, he was airlifted back to Brisbane. So yeah, that was a. <laughs> but there, I, I honestly, I could write a book about the stories that I hear about people oh. losing legs and arms. And I guess I mean I can't. I mean, well, it's it's obvious that I wouldn't be able to put be able to mentally put myself in a situation like that because you know it, unless you're there, it's really hard to sort of grasp the the level of urgency or just the. Or not even urgency, mm. but just the the level of just there's no other option. Just there's no hope apart from this one outcome. I remember like watching one of those TV docos years and years ago. Of uh, I think it was a fairly famous guy, but I can't remember the guy's name off the top of my head. But he got he got lost in the wilderness somewhere in Australia. And he got he was doing some I don't know some rock climbing somewhere in like Northern Territory or something like that, and he. He was going between some rocks and he fell and he got he got stuck between two big boulders and his arm was stuck in there and he was he was desperately trying everything he possibly could to get out of this rock and then eventually and he was he was he had no phone reception he was in the middle of nowhere and eventually it sort of got to a point after however long and I think it was a long time like you know with it was more than a day of of him just sort of sitting there and deteriorating that he just said I've got no choice I've got to I've got to I've got to get rid of the the arm 
and he cut his arm uh-huh. off. And it's just, <laughs> but I mean, I guess you yeah. know, if you, it's a, it's a life or death situation, you, you so you've got no choice. What's the lesser of two evils? Yeah, it's 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 crazy to think of that, and and to to actually talk to these guys, you know, that have gone through that trauma, and have just come out on top. You know, they're, they're just indestructible. Their minds are fantastic. Well, I was going to say, you know, do you get an array of people coming in that have that have that are going through different stages of coming to terms with, you know, their their physical being? You know, because I mean, how I wouldn't know how long down the track after, you know, trauma or you know something that re- that results in in losing a limb. Would you then go through the process of of getting a, a prosthetic limb to be made? I mean, would it be quite a while down the track? But you know, no doubt for everybody, it's a little bit different, and people will be going through different stages of acceptance or, or denial. Yeah, yeah, that, that they're all completely different. Some people just take it with a grain of salt and accept it, and some just can't let go of the fact that something terrible had happened and they just can't move on and that's fair enough uh, I, I don't know how I would react it's something that is to the individual but I think that majority of the people um, move on and adapt we're pretty we're pretty good at adapting especially when you got no choice like you just got it's that, it's that sort of you know, I either either just slowly fade away in, in my in, in my sorrow or, or I just I make do with what I've got and um there's a there's a level of resilience that's pretty pretty incredible but um you don't really understand what what you're capable of or what you're capable of dealing with until, you know, you're you're in an unfortunate situation. Yeah. Yeah. And you you just don't know. It could happen tomorrow. But most of it, well, that, and that's a trauma, and and I think it's such a low percentage of our clients, luckily. That, mm. um, and especially today with cars and and you know motorcycle gear that's sort of improved in the years, and safety's a, a lot better. We're getting less trauma, and and workplace accidents as well. You know, everything's to a standard. Where you know back then, um, in the in the sixties and seventies, from the guys that I know, were in such unsafe environments that something was bound to happen eventually, and it did to a lot of guys. Yeah, I was gonna. I was curious to see how it's changed, even since you've uh, sort of come into the field of doing it. You know, where those where those percentages have changed over the last you know twenty plus years of you know. Yeah, as you mentioned, like you know, safety getting a lot better in in particular areas. But um, are you seeing an increase in particular? Um, you know, people that have that are losing limbs as a as a result of smoking and and a lot of sort of. What, what, did you mention it was cardiovascular sort of diseases that are resulting in these sort of things? That's right. Yeah, um, smoking and diabetes combined is is a is a, a good combination to be on a sure way to to lose something. It usually starts off with the toes. You know, I think the legs, the lower extremities are the first things to lose circulation. 
So I think that's why the legs are, are more common than the arms. The arms seem to be either traumatic or congenital. And especially for people that are, you know, dealing with diabetes or, um, you know, dealing with cancer, you know, something that's the result of smoking, you know, losing, losing a limb would be one of a multitude of issues that they're dealing with at the time. So it's like just like a, a, a punch after punch in a way. So I'm sure that, you know, that would be a different type of person that you would have to interact with versus somebody else has had a, a very quick event that's resulted in, you know, through trauma or something like that, or something, uh, you know, a child, different scenario altogether. Um, but somebody that's probably, you know, a lot older and, um, is, is impacted of years of, of, uh, of, of disease building up. Um, it would have, it'd be definitely a different type of person that you'd have to have to deal with. It definitely, um, depends on the, the cause of the amputation. Hmm. The traumatic um, clients are the ones who are more prone to depression and, you know, loss of self-worth and all that sort of stuff. And people like the, the smokers are losing legs from elective surgery, so they know they're going to have it taken off. Mm. And they're, they're getting time to prepare for it. And the children... Um, I think are the luckiest, which is a bit weird, but they they don't know any different. Yeah. They've grown up knowing that's how it is. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, yeah, it's um, it is a weird way of looking at. It, but you're right. I mean, if you if you don't know any any different, then it's it's hard to it's hard to lose something. It's hard to 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 miss something and if you've never had that experience of, of having it there in the first place. Yeah. Um, and they know that they're missing out on something when they see all the other kids running around without any trouble. And but they know that that's it's been like that forever for them. Uh, they 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 really deal with it really well. The kids are amazing. Have you have you ever had struggles with doing this type of work over the years? Like just having like obviously the operational side of the practical side of it, of, of creating. And, and, you know, you mentioned before you, you got into this field of work, you know, having a real interest in, in creating things and, and being artistic. But did you ever, apart from actually physically doing all the work, did you ever have struggles with dealing with so much potential emotion with, with these people and it'd be a daily thing that you would have to be in contact with? Yeah, I think it, it it was pretty early in the um, prosthetic stage of my life where um, I sort of was pushed into this psychological um, part of my job where I have to really take note of how they're feeling and, and what they're thinking about. And I have to work around that. Some of them um, are quite fragile. It's, it's, yeah, it's pretty hard. And especially not really having any sort of training in that area. Mm -hmm. So it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's sort of depressing sometimes dealing with all this emotion coming from these people. 
Well, it's not like someone taking a car in to get service. You know, you've got to hear the life story and it's knowing everything about them helps really well in, in making something for them that works for them. Well, it definitely, it definitely gives a sense of purpose in what you're doing. It's not, it's not even just a, a nice thing to do. Like you, you, you're connecting with the person that you're creating this, this, this artificial limb for. And so you, no doubt you'd be putting a lot into it, which would be no doubt exhausting at times because you, you know, probably there's a bit of pressure there as well. You, you, you've, you've heard the story, you've, you can see the emotion and then you want to make sure that you do whatever you can to, to help improve that person's life as much as possible. So I, I don't know, maybe you take it in your stride, but I think I'd feel, I'd feel a bit of pressure along the way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's, that's where I've made so many friends. You know, I've really connected with these people and I just can't help but love them all for who they are. They're just, they're just all amazing. They, they, they make my job great. It's not, the, the fact that I'm making something or constructing something that's unique, it's the people that I do them for. That's that's why I do it, really. It's pretty cool. I don't think there's many people out there, well, I'm sure there's heaps, but I don't, I don't think there's many people from a sort of Joe Blow point of view that can say that they have such a dramatic impact on other people just in a, in a day-to-day job. Um, you know, unless you're working in, I don't know, you know, medical services, emergency services or something like that. Um, it's, uh, it's a pretty, it's a pretty amazing thing to be able to have that sort of direct impact on people. It's, it's pretty incredible. Uh, I'm, I'm so lucky that I have this and it, there's not a day where I don't jump in my car and go to work and, and not look forward to going there. It's, it's always an adventure, it's something new every day new challenges, new people. It's really good. That's cool. Wouldn't give it up for anything. Do you, these days doing it, uh, do you do you work for a particular employer um, or do you do stuff on the side yourself? Are you, do you do contract work? Like how does it, how does it work these days for yourself? Uh, I work for um, a hospital now. Yep. This is, I've actually just done my first week with them. Okay. I've just left the... The, the private sector it's working for a private company or well, two private companies for the last 25 years and now I've, I've moved on to the public hospital I briefly worked um, at the children's hospital in Flemington here in Melbourne for a while that was great uh, but this this is a whole new chapter for me moving to the public sector where you know we're not restricted to one product. There's so many different prosthetic products out there made by different companies. Where if when you're working for a private company, um, they're contracted to use their components only. Right. But when I'm working for a hospital, we've got this broad spectrum of devices and materials, and it's, it's just a never-ending palette of um, engineering that we can use. It'd be pretty exciting. I mean, given given where you've been and what you've and what you know, and then sort of going into I don't know. I'm just I'm just envisioning like this this workshop with these tools all over the place and and this this catalogue of of uh, different materials and options that you can pick and sort of having 
having uh, your prosthetic world at your fingertips. Yeah, it, it does look like a shambles. Yeah, <laughs> uh, every every single facility I've been into this is this chaos of parts and components and materials and workbenches and tools and we've got all sorts of weird machinery to to manufacture these things. What's um is there is there certain oh, what's the best way of uh, wording this? Are there certain sort of categories of like just focusing on legs are there certain categories of types of legs like when people are sort of coming in to to have a conversation about having having a leg made um are there certain sort of i don't know umbrellas of categories that they look at you know obviously there's like a lifelike looking leg with uh, you know the skin color and everything like that but then you've got the other ones with the metal rod um and no doubt you mentioned before about the 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 child that you know you you helped when they're they're an infant and then then going to the Olympics. Um, no doubt they would need a completely different type of limb um, to do sport. Would there, is there different categories of types of things that you that are, are on offer for people? Yeah, there's there's so many. Um, there's the standard um, limbs for the geriatrics, and they're all nice and lightweight. They have flexible ankles, so they can move around nice and easy. And then, um, you know, you go up to uh, the the hard-wearing limbs for, you know, the tradesmen and the truck drivers who need these legs that can actually hold weight limits of, you know, 130 kilos. Mm-hmm. So if, you know, a big... A big guy, and he needs to pick up a, a bag of cement. It's got to be able to hold that, yeah. and and then most of them are made out of carbon fiber, like the feet. Uh, so with that load, it, it gives a, a high return as well. So it's not this dead weight on the end that's actually springing them off. And then and then you go to the, I mean, the athletic limbs, which are these big carbon fiber blades. Yeah. Look like, look like a C shape. Um, we, we do a lot of those now, and even the kids are using those for everyday legs because yeah. they just bring around. Just something out of a sci-fi yeah, movie. Those ones, I just I look at them and go, "Wow, they're incredible!" And just looks like they you just glide when you're, especially yeah. like the in the Paralympics, and you watch these guys just sprinting with these, with these uh, out of this world looking limbs. It's just incredible. Yeah. And and now they're even moving into even more sort of niche markets like knee joints that are specially made for downhill skiing and waterproof legs for diving and all that sort of stuff. So there's there's no limit now. It's fantastic. Are they looking at um, you know combining robotics as well with a lot of prosthetics? Yeah, uh, there's. We're using microprocessor knee joints now where um, these knee joints have Bluetooth connectivity to the laptop so we can watch what the knee is doing as the client's walking on it and we can control the hydraulics in it and pneumatics and we can make adjustments to suit them. And then there's sensors that go from the knee to the robotic ankle which can detect... Um, different sort of terrain, whether you're on hard floor or 
floor on sand, and it can adjust within fifty thousandths of a second, I think. So the knee, the knee can sort of freeze up a bit if you you're going to be on unstable ground, and it'll know if you're applying pressure going upstairs. So it'll it'll sort of lock up and help you up the steps, and same as going down. And that was a big thing for people um, doing something as simple as that, walking downstairs, and, and now they can do it one leg after the other instead of you know one step at a time. I mean, when you, when you explain like <laughs> when you explain the the, the, the mechanics behind it, you, I, the first thought I had was, wow, like these these limbs that are being created are, are you know could potentially be better than an actual real human limb. But then you just, but then on the other side, you think that's just how complicated our body is. That's how complex it is. Where you know, there's so many moving parts in in our body, and ligaments, and muscles, and and you know, the structure of the of the bone itself. You know, being able to move in a whole range of different ways. I mean, even I'm, I'm watching. I'm sitting down on this chair as I'm talking, listening to you, and I'm I'm moving my legs around, going, oh wow, like. This leg's going in a whole range of different angles and different pressures, and and um, it's it can be quite com- complicated. Yeah, I don't I don't think no, um, well, not in my lifetime will we ever see a leg that works the same as a real one. Mm. Um, it's it's more about quality of life, I think, yeah. now at the moment, and getting the best out of it. And, but I think that um, the technology is at the moment is so good with the human movement that those those components together all work really well and and really replicate um, the sound side. It's, yeah, it's just um, the technology is just incredible. It's um, it's a it's a real eye opener because. You, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of talk out there when you, um, you know, you got the Elons of the world and you've got uh, the rise of technology and we talk about artificial intelligence and and all these different things and it's it's a lot of a lot of buzzwords and and buzz topics and you sort of start to think about robotics and and where the human body is going to go in the future and and there's a lot you know stem cell research and all this kind of stuff and so you you think about you know the improvements to the human body, but, um, it's, I think, I think we sort of forget how, how intricate our body already is. And I think we're, I think we're still trying to get to the level of, of our body to begin with before we can surpass it and improve on it. Yeah. I was still discovering stuff. Didn't they just find a new organ or something? Oh, I don't know. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> new part of the brain that we didn't know we had. Oh, right. No, oh, yeah, uh, uh, yeah, something in the skin that's another organ. It's, it's just stuff that's just uh, continuously being discovered. I think we're a long way off um, uh, replicating ourselves in that way, but we're not far off it. I don't think with with AI and robotics, it's getting pretty good. It's definitely exponential the way that the way that a lot of this stuff is progressing, and no doubt you would have, or actually, yeah, answer this. Like if you know from the from the early nineties up until probably, you know, the the end of the nineties into the early two thousands, you know, versus probably the last five to ten years, have you seen like a real exponential growth in in options and and improvements in in your field? 
Yeah, yeah, it's been incredible. Yeah, yeah it's, um, I remember when I started, they were only just sort of experimenting with with oil hydraulic units, mm. and and then it went to pneumatic, and now we're into pneumatic with um, microprocessors that are running little motors that run gears to you know. Um, help you move along a bit faster or a bit slower. It's, yeah. The technology is just incredible. The research and development side of prosthetics is the thing that's grown most, I think. And people are just going crazy with ideas and they're not afraid to try weird stuff in the hope that it could lead to something great. And, and I think that um, a few common factors of the, the modern prosthetics are from people that have sort of thought outside the box and thought, well, let's go this way. And and it worked. And especially like with the blade, for example. Mm. Like the running the running blades that you just wouldn't think of them to work like a foot. But I mean like you, you wouldn't be able to walk down the street with it. They're they're just made for running. But um they they have a purpose. It's um, it's incredible. Have you have you ever have you ever dabbled in sort of a bit more of the sort of inno- innovation side of things and experimenting in problem like trying to develop things, or are you more on the on the back end of the operational side of things of working with whatever the new ideas are? Yeah, I'm 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 pretty much the back end of it. Yeah. <laughs> I just I just lap it up. I just love the technology <laughs> coming in. Um, there's a few ideas that I've got that I'd like to experiment with. And, and now that I'm um, in the, the new position where I am now, um, I think I'm going to have some opportunities to, to do a bit of research and development, a bit of experimenting. It's exciting. Yeah, very exciting. Well, I'll shift gears a little bit. And I might, I'll probably find a reason to come back to, to prosthetics because I'm just so fascinated with it. Um, I actually had, um, and you, I don't know if you've seen it, but um, earlier this year I had um, a couple of guys, Adam and Damien from Odd Studio um, on the podcast, and they do prosthetics for special effects in movies, and they do creature creation as well. And right. And so what you mentioned earlier in the piece about sort of where you were hoping to go, that sort of it made me think of those guys and, um, and I got to see a quick glimpse of their studio in Sydney in Marrickville. And I was just blown away with what they, what they've created and what they create. They've done stuff for alien and star Wars and, and all sorts of stuff. And, um, I'll send you some stuff that you, you can check out, but, um, I'm, I'm really fascinated with people being able to create, uh, you know, tangible objects, you know, anything, any, any form of, um, sculptured art or anything that's that's I, I i don't have the the technical terms of what it is but you know prosthetics and just building things is just absolutely incredible and to to get to that form or that level of um it's not even lifelike because a lot of this stuff is out of this world but it's just that it's to make it sort of become a reality it's just a really incredible thing and so when i saw what you do i just thought this is this is really cool because it's a completely different tangent, but you're using the same principles in a way. Yeah, yeah. I I, I do think that um, like the special effects industry 
does does use a lot of techniques that we do, and we use a lot of their techniques. And I've got a friend, um, Kylie, in Brisbane, who's a special effects artist, and she did a bit, little bit of work with me for a while um, as placement, and we did discover that a lot of the things are very common, mm. but... The the only difference is that yeah I'm making them for humans and she's making them for aliens. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Um, and and I'm totally them. jealous. <laughs> <laughs> it's well, I mean, she's probably. I mean, on the on the flip side, she's probably quite jealous of of what you're doing as well because it's that you're both doing things that impact others, but in just different ways. And it's, I mean, you've got a. I think you've what you do is such a unique connection that most people would never, never get to experience. And then what she does, I mean, absolutely, you know, there's very few people that would, that would uh, be able to have those types of experiences as well. So it's it's all pretty, it's all pretty out there and all pretty pretty interesting for somebody who's on the other side of the fence. Yeah, yeah, we're um we're a crazy bunch. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Have you ever? Yeah. Have you ever had? I mean, how, how does it come up in conversation when you when you meet people for the first time and you know those stereotypical, uh, you know, parties or or a dinner with some some friends or whatever, and you meet somebody for the first time and usually that that stereotypical question, oh yeah, what do you do? You know, how does how does that go down? <laughs> I usually get a, a a funny look each time. <laughs> it takes a while for them to process. <laughs> what I do, uh, but um, yeah, it's 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 a good conversation starter, that's for sure. Oh, I tell you what, I think I'm envious of that because I think that's that's perfect. I mean, you know, some people get a get an interesting book to chuck on the coffee table so someone can flick through it, so you can you can kickstart a conversation, and you can just say, "Well, you know, I create prosthetic <laughs> limbs," and it's like, "Oh, okay, all right, well, let's let's go down that path and have a chat then." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, incredible. Yeah. It happens a lot. <laughs> I, bet. I bet. Um, a slight tangent, um, but I think there's some sim- similarities here. Cause I, I had a look at your, your artist page on Facebook and, and, and all those, oh, I don't know how many pages you you linked me to, but I've got them all saved. I'm going to chuck them all in the, the show notes for this episode. So people can check them out as we're talking uh-huh. through stuff. But, um, I, I had a look at your artist page and the stuff that you do and I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I see parallels in your prosthetic work that you do professionally and some of the artistic stuff that you're doing as well. I mean, some of the masks that you're doing, I mean, uh, there's, and forgive me if there's not a better word to describe this, but the first thing I thought was far out there, creepy looking things, but they're so cool. <laughs> but there's that feeling of, you know, using similar concepts or principles that you've learnt, you know, creating prosthetic limbs. I've made um, a lot of art pieces in in the time that I've been making prosthetics, and and I think the the connection is that I use a lot of prosthetic parts to make my art pieces. Mm-hmm. So that the leather masks are all um, sort of offcuts of of thigh lace of artificial limbs, and I use a lot of old components from legs to make uh, other pieces. And I had a couple of... Um, there was there was an art exhibition in Brisbane a few years back called Spare Parts where uh, artists were given 
prosthetic limbs to do whatever they wanted with them to make art pieces. And I, and I was one of the artists and made a... Uh, it was a bird I made out of a leg with some arm parts. Uh, I think I might... Um, is that on, on your Facebook page? I think I saw it. I think it might be yeah. way back. Yeah. And then I made another art piece for another spare parts exhibition which was in London for the for the London Olympics and I think that was coincided with the Paralympics over there yeah. uh, um, but I've I haven't stopped I've I've just keep making bits and pieces out of artificial limbs I, my garage is full of bits full of arms and <laughs> old arms and this is kind of creepy but um I, I took a plaster cast of my own head and I used that as a mould to make my masks. Wow. Uh, just boiling leather and hammering it into plaster and, and then hand sewing it all together. <laughs> it's it's so out there. And I think if any if nobody knew the full story or the context, it would it'd look so incredibly morbid. I, can you imagine someone just... You know, for whatever reason, just you know, stopping by, not really knowing you, and just happen to to walk into that garage of yours. Well, I took I took one of the leather masks uh, along to a, a Slayer signing one day. <laughs> it was it was a Tumble Music of all places. Oh man! And oh, uh, yeah. I I was there for six hours. I lined up. I was the first guy there, and um, met. Carrie King and the, the rest of them, and they all signed it for me. Oh, wow. uh, I've still I've still got that one. And and then one night um, I was in the valley in the, in Brisbane and was hanging out with Fear Factory, and I had a mask with me, and they all signed it, and they were running around with it with it on their head. And Corn Corn were there as well, and they were standing around a pool table, but they weren't doing much. They weren't too interested in it. But Fear Factory <laughs> dug it. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's so cool. I mean, geez, I mean, I think, I don't know what, what I'm more impressed with, the fact that you, you've had these masks, you know, signed by these incredible bands or just the name drop of Toomble Music. I think I just got, I, I think I just went through some vortex and went back in time in this time machine and oh, yeah. I remember buying Metallica VHSs from there that were, you know, 40 bucks a pop. Import, import right. videos. I used to get all my Kiss merch there. It was great. <laughs> wow. There you go. Far out, man. Small world. Oh, incredible. Um, have you got a photo of that, that Slayer mask? Yeah, I can post that up. Yeah, I'll have to, I'll have to show people that. That's, that's really cool. Um, yeah. What's the um, – do, do you have some sort of inspiration that – I mean, obviously, you know, working in this – in this field for so many years, you, you get inspired by what you do and that has an influence on, on what you create artistically on the side. But do you have like, you know, are there other artists out there that you sort of draw an inspiration from even when you were younger that sort of led you down this path of, of this, this type or this style of, of art that you're creating? I really liked um, H.R. Geiger. Yeah. All that biomechanical Sort of sci-fi stuff, and I really dug that. Um, and then I really like the art of Mark Ryden, who does a lot of oil paintings, but really weird, sort of surreal landscapes. You know, these these people with giant eyes and a girl wearing a dress made out of meat and stuff like that. 
So it's just really bizarre. The more bizarre, the better. Um, but that I think sci-fi is my big thing. Mm. I've always been a big Star Wars fan and um, just stuff that was out of this world. Does that... <laughs> Do you sleep well at night? <laughs> do, do, do yeah, you have, do you sleep have, like, like a log. <laughs> do, do you have any like really out there dreams? Well, actually, that's probably it's probably a half legitimate question. Uh, do you have like do do you have like dreams that inspire a lot of this stuff, or is it more sort of just things that you you're engrossed in in that sort of sci-fi world and that sort of that sort of bizarro world that uh, that you, you, know, you you're into? Yeah, I think um, sci-fi visually gives me the stimulation to create three-dimensional mm. pieces. The um, dreams are, are something I use to write songs. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. I get a few ideas to um, create stuff like that. Just in the personal sort of um, solo music career that I'm trying to pursue is is mainly dark sort of murder ballads. <laughs> it falls in line with <laughs> it seems to be... which, which which isn't really isn't the majority of my dreams because I I don't really remember dreams but um, the ones that I do sort of give me ideas for creepy scenarios. Well, I get I get um. You can never explain. It's it's like anything. You try and explain a dream to somebody the next day, and you just stumble all over your words. But it's yeah. I have um I have these. You get feelings, and I don't know what I don't know how how to explain it, or or a color, or something, just mm -hmm. something really odd. But you, and you can never put your finger on it or explain it. And you can't put a word against it. Um, but you get a and I ha I hate the word because I sound so like bro, but you know it's the it's the vibe that you get, and it's just a. I don't know what it is, and that and that can definitely, oh, no doubt, would uh, influence a lot of people in in art, whether that be, you know, you know, sculpturing or or music or any form of art um, creation. Um, you know, having these feelings or whatever it might be, even the, even if you can't pick a pick out that storyline or whatever <laughs> whatever the plot was that you were you were actually going through. Yeah, it's, it's it is like a feeling, it, and you don't really know what it's going to sort of evolve into until you start working on something, even if it's writing a first line or putting a couple of pieces together in the garage and then you start to see something. But it's something that you've already seen but you don't know what it is yet. Mm. It's, a, it's a weird thing. Yeah, it's just an instinct, I think, that, um, makes you do things. I used to, I used to go. Well, I, I probably should try this again because it, it kind of half worked at the time. But years and years ago, um, you know, in the band we were like writing music, and you know, we went through this period. It's like, okay, for the next you know x amount of period of time, we've got to compile all of our all of our riffs, our lyrics, our music ideas, songs, you know, whatever it is, and we'll we'll dump it all together and we'll try and get this get this album up up and running. So in my head and my focus was creation. I'm trying to create stuff and I'm trying to slap everything together. And what I, what I did, it sounds so ridiculous actually verbalizing this because I haven't told anyone this for years, but I had a little old school dictaphone next to my bed, a little cassette recorder. 
And so I would wake up in the middle of the night with what I thought was the next big hit. And so I would press record and this would be like three o'clock in the morning and be like, <laughs> and then, and then I press stop and then I'd put it back on the bedside and I'd roll over all content thinking, I cannot wait for the morning. And then the next day I'd, I'd play this shit back and go, what the hell was that? And, and realizing and some, and some days waking up and not even remembering that I did it sort of being still yeah. half out, out of it in some, I don't know, in some stage of sleep and um, absolutely incredible. However, I did get a couple of half decent melody lines out of it where I sort of, I listened to it and reinterpreted it with a bit of, a bit more of a sound and a bit more uh, sound mind and a bit more clarity and went, okay, I think I've got a melody line out of this now. So it, maybe, maybe it helped uh, paint a bit of a picture that I couldn't quite articulate three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Uh, but I yeah, I was, everything everything has a purpose. Oh man, I, I thought I was a genius at the time. I was I was telling a few mates, okay, you got to try this out, and they're like, oh, you really? I'm like, yeah, yeah. But then when I started playing back these tapes, I thought I'm not going to show anybody these things. <laughs> man, I I remember doing stuff like that as well. Yeah, waking up, picking the guitar up, and and hitting record on the cassette player, and thinking, you know, and this is in my bedroom in Kippering in, in Redcliffe, <laughs> uh, uh, and thinking, oh, man, I'm going to be bigger than in excess. Uh, and, <laughs> and, yeah, yeah, and listening back, it was it was shit. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> man, we must have lived so close to each other, because I was in Clontarf. I was not far at all from, from Kippering, so... Um, yeah, well, yeah, I was all over the peninsula. I was... Um, yeah, Scarborough, Redcliffe, um, Margate, all over the joint. Yeah, there you go, hanging out at Kippering shops. Yeah. <laughs> Incredible. Yeah. Um, so you, you gave me a few links to, to some of the music that you're involved with, um, and one of them was uh, Tumble Turn, but then you also had, and you correct me if I, if I don't pronounce this, pronounce this right, but Carla Schnick. Kalashnik. Kalashnik. <laughs> Anybody that listens to this podcast has heard me so countless times just continue continuously like butcher people's names, butcher words. I am the worst when it comes to phonetics. <laughs> Kalashnik's easy to remember if you think of it as three uh, mad idiots, Carl, Ashley, and Nick. And together we're oh, Kalashnik. Oh, right. There you go. That, that'll help me in future. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> so, so you've got that, and then you've also got um, a separate solo uh, thing under your name as well. But um, this might be a really stupid question, but where the hell do you have the time to do everything? <laughs> time management. Yeah. Um... <laughs> do, you have, do you have any tips? <laughs> because of, I mean, people, people uh, say to me that I, I I do a lot, but I just I I sort of sat there this afternoon. And I was looking through everything. and went, oh shit, man! Like <laughs> you've got a lot on your plate. Yeah, time gets away from me. Uh, I, I think keeping a a diary is quite handy. Yeah. Um, I never used to, uh, and I never used to be this proactive uh, until. You know, probably ten years ago, uh, when I started to think, well, you know, I should start doing a bit more, and and then it just 
I just can't stop. If 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 I'm sitting on the couch at night, I feel a bit guilty mm. that I'm I'm not producing something. So yeah, having all these musical projects and and art projects as well sort of keeps me busy. I think no doubt it would be, um, you know, from a health point of view, it's probably like a, a really good escape from sometimes when you know your your traditional well, traditional job. It's, it's so funny to say when you when you're doing what you've been doing for the last twenty plus years, but you know, doing doing your professional job and then the the weight that you would have to carry at times and how intense that could be to have that creative out outlet in a number of different pockets would be be pretty good for your mental health at times. Yeah. I and I guess that my art being so surreal and artificial and sci fi is sort of an extreme escapism from reality mm. of of you know working with these people um, and helping them, it, it just gets me like well and truly out of my my headspace making stuff like that. And I think that's why you know I've always been into that sort of escapism. Uh, I started off with Star Wars, I think, as a kid, and I didn't really have that many friends. So my friends were my Star Wars figures, and mm-hmm. and they'd take me out and about to other planets where I didn't have to deal with the reality of school and, and, and all that sort of stuff. You know, bullying was a, a bit of a problem. Um, so it was, it was helpful. And I think that, you know, my art now is sort of reflecting on, it's like a coping mechanism, I guess, for, for my day job. It's a good thing to have. I mean, a lot of people don't have that at all. I mean, you know, regardless of the type of job that people have, you know, you, you know, as you said before, you know, people you know, you sit on the couch and I mean, I'm, I'm exactly the same. I, I either feel guilty or I just get really irritable really quickly because I can't, I can't sit yeah. still. I, I just, I, I have to have my head in something. I have to be. I have to be doing something. I have to be even sometimes physically moving around, like shuffling stuff and <laughs> flicking pages and and moving things around, like just to feel like I'm I'm being productive. And sometimes that can be a bad thing because you're not actually being productive. You're just wasting time. But it's it. I I can't I can't sit there. And and so many people, you know, for a lot of people's, for a lack of a better term, their existence is this revolving thing of going to work, uh, not a stereotypical nine to five job and coming home and then plonking on the couch and watching whatever rubbish on TV and going to bed and repeat. And then they, they've got the weekend and whatever. And then they're back, back to, back to Monday morning. And it's, um, and I think there's, you know, some people are content and happy with that, but I think, you know, there's a lot of mental health issues that come off the back of that as well, because people just don't have anywhere to escape apart from, you know, sitting on a couch and maybe watching TV. So it's, there's nothing that they're really sort of putting, there's no, there's nothing that they're putting themselves into. They're not contributing to anything, even just that's for themselves. It's, it's interesting. And I think, um, you know, it, I think a lot of people are lucky that where they do have a bit of a, a creative flair or, or have uh, really sort of um, embraced it 
because I think everyone's creative, but most people just don't dig below the surface to to find the creativity. So I think the people that have embraced it, it's a, it's a pretty powerful thing. Yeah, I, I think everybody's creative in their own way. They've just got to find their niche. Um, and, and yeah, a lot of people do just live to work. And and when they are home or, or out relaxing, they're talking about work. And I just, I don't get that. Yeah. And I don't, I don't mind talking about what I do, but I I wouldn't go out of my way to talk about it. You know, I, I like to remove myself from it. And, and I think that um, I try and do so much more outside of work now because I'm getting older and I feel this sort of sense of urgency to leave a mark and do as much as I can before before time's up. Um, and I sort of really embrace that sort of notion that um, this is our only shot and we've got to give it everything we got. Um, I, I certainly don't treat my body like a temple. Um, I know I'm here for a, a good time, not a long time. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> uh, but it, uh, um, my lifestyle uh, and my, my health sort of suits what I do. Uh, I mean, thinking uh, along the lines of People who lose their legs, I, I smoke and ride motorbikes, so um, I'm really going against the grain. <laughs> but, uh, you get these you know, warning signs yeah. in front of you on a daily basis, and it's like, oh, yeah. no, no, I'll be right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got you, you got to understand your your clients. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> what you said before, though, I mean, about sort of getting to that point now where you you want to do as much as you can while you, while you can, do you, mm. do you take that on, on board in a positive way or have you gone through a period of, of a little bit of panic where, I mean, I, I had what I, what I refer to as my th- uh, 30 crisis uh, when, I, when I sort of stopped and went, oh, what am I doing with my life? I don't know what yeah. I'm doing. Everything's <laughs> going to end soon. And, and uh, I, I think I've pretty much f- filled most of my life and, oh, shit, you know, I haven't done anything yet. And, and did, did you go through that or do you still have You it? nailed it. Yeah. 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 You nailed it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there was, there was a, a pinnacle moment where I realized, holy shit, Time's ticking. I'm halfway through it. I think um, let's get some shit done. And uh, yeah, I haven't looked back. I'm just really trying to to do as much as I can without burning myself out. You know, um, it's hard. It's hard, but uh, there's definitely enough at the moment to keep me busy. Yeah, I think I think another cool thing that I've I've found. And it's only been the last few years where, actually, pretty much when I turned thirty, where I've actually started to to really try and do as much as I can without, as you mentioned, like burning out. And mm. I found that just saying yes to a lot more things and things that normally I would just my knee jerk reaction would be no. You know, I'd be a little bit, a little bit reluctant or a little bit conservative. You know, a bit risk adverse. You know, and and just go, no, nah, I won't do that because I just, there's too much of an unknown there. I don't know what the outcome's going to be. And I've, and I've definitely taken on the yes a lot more. And I've found that this has been so many more opportunities that I just never would have thought existed just for me being 
present or just showing up and just being there and doing something and and um it's just amazing where things can can lead yeah being proactive um is so rewarding uh, it, for for anything you know um even if uh you don't want to go to a gig one night but you do and you end up meeting some other musos and and the next thing you know you're in a band and you've made a, <laughs> an album uh, yeah. you just gotta say yes to everything yeah I, I can't say no to most things um if it's going to be artistic or, or rewarding in any way I, I gotta do it well i'll i'll name drop him again and i think he'll be stoked if uh if and when he eventually gets around to listening to this i'm sure i'm sure actually he'll listen to this pretty quickly but uh james i mean i watch that guy and, I, and especially his instagram feed he's just out of this world but yeah he and he said it when when we spoke on the podcast as well i mean he just he just lives every day and he's he's got that similar sort of outlook where you know you just don't know you don't you don't know what's going to happen and yeah. Let's let's try and do as much as I can. Let's try and taste as many things as I can and experience as many things as I can. And and every day uh, something pops up in my feed, and and I might be doing the most boring thing in the world, sitting around and thinking that I'm being productive or whatever. And then up pops in this feed him making a bloody knife out of out of I don't know a piece of metal or whatever, or he's or he's scooting around, or you know he's doing Mario Kart in in Tokyo, or he's he's you know, on stage with no effects or he's doing all these crazy things. And I just go, Oh, you got me, James. You got me. All right. Okay. What I need. <laughs> but it, but it, I always see it in a positive way. Cause it's, it's, it's just so motivating to see. I mean, we all have our challenges and we've all got the things that we've got to deal with and on a day-to-day yep. basis. And, a, and, a, and it's never, it's never smooth sailing whatsoever, but, um, and he wears his heart on his sleeve for sure. And, uh, but he's, he's definitely made a, a real effort to, to just live as much as he can. And it's just so cool to see. And, um, I definitely take a page out of his book. Oh, he's so inspirational. Uh, ever since I met him, he's, he's inspired me to push myself harder. Um, and I, and I found that that's so good, um, being around people that are so, proactive like James and and others like him um, and and the people that that aren't proactive but the ones you know that you you hold dear they're sort of the ones you need to to bring along with you and and it does rub off as well and I've seen people become you know dug themselves out of a hole and and become fantastic people uh, yeah but yeah, people like James. Hang around those people. Oh well, I certainly had my eyes opened after speaking to him, and I just—I can't even remember how. I think I might have found him randomly. We were following each other on Instagram, or I was following him. I don't even know how the hell it happened. And I was going, "Who the hell is this guy?" And so I thought, "I'll stop it. I'll have a chat to him." And it sort of just everything changed, and it was just—it's just incredible to to know that um, that people like him exist, and and even just talking to you and and hearing some of the things that you've done over the years and, and what you do now and having, as I said to you today, like having your th- finger in so many pies and just, just, mm-hmm. you know, me sort of being gobsmacked going, you know, where do you have the time to, to fit everything in? But it's, 
it's inspiring to see that, you know, you don't have to pigeonhole yourself to one thing. You don't have to do just one thing. And that's what defines you. It's, it's, you can, you know, you can move around, you can shift, you can pivot, you can try different things. You can do something for a little bit of time and then move to something else. And there's just, there's no rules. Yeah, that's right. I, I think everybody does things that, um, take up a lot of time. Like I just don't understand people that, find time to go to the gym every day there's no way I could I mean walking to the tram that's enough for me but uh, it's 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 hard to think of people that find the time to exercise but uh, like Wednesday night is tumble turn rehearsal and Tuesday night is is um, another rehearsal with another project and Thursday is art night where I'm in the garage and, you know, it's every night it's got a, a a booking. I'm fully booked. I think I have one night a week where I can watch a bit of Netflix and <laughs> not feel guilty about it, you know. <laughs> so I don't watch much TV, but, um, yeah, when I do, I, I watch hard. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> oh, Netflix is certainly the thing to, to binge watch on for sure. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's interesting. Just, I mean, that sort of feeds into what, what I was saying before. I mean, you mentioned time management and, you know, you've got, you've got days allocated to certain things. So you've got, you've got some routine and structure there that sort of keeps everything orderly. So you can, you can afford to do different things and, and everything sort of work in harmony together. Yeah. Yeah. There's always time. There's always time to do something. But yeah, um, definitely having a diary and, and knowing what's happening tomorrow is, is handy. When there's so much going on, uh, if I didn't have something to keep note, I'd, I'd definitely lose, lose track of stuff. But um, yeah, I, th- I think that um, filling every day with something is, is pretty important. Yeah, I um, the diary or what I use is a just well I use scrap pieces of paper I really I really get excited about using scrap pieces of paper I feel like I'm I'm giving that I'm giving that shitty little piece of paper some purpose and um, and my my wife loves you know planners and diaries and she's got beautiful pens and she loves calligraphy and she has a stickers and everything has to be neat and perfect and and it looks nice but i i've got shocking handwriting and i don't have the patience to sit there to that degree so i every time i stay at a hotel i grab all those little shitty notepads if i find like <laughs> bits of scrap paper left over i rip the corner off and whatever and i i write over just scrap and i love it absolutely love it but anyway i was going off on a tangent there but the point i was trying to make was i've in the last few years i've really found um this massive advantage and this it's a bit of a game changer for me by writing not only a to-do list but writing it the night before um yeah so planning the next day and not writing a million stupid things on there so you feel like you're accomplishing something when you're not really doing anything at all but like just writing like three or four things like major things that you got to do and then you wake up the next day and you're already, it's already in your head. Like you, it's almost like overnight it's, it's processing, it's, it's mapping out, it's working things out in your head. And, and when you wake up, you, you're sort of ready to go. And it took me a while to, to work that out because I used to sit there in the morning at the table and I'd be 
trying to wake up and then I'm trying to think about what I want to do and that day and then my head's elsewhere and then I get distracted by something and you're just a mess and it takes you half the day to get into the groove of things. So yeah. the day before, it's just, it's amazing. And I just think, oh, wow, why don't, why don't more people do this? <laughs> I'm a bit late to yeah. I feel like I'm late to the party with a lot of this stuff. But, um, but yeah, oh, when me you mentioned, too. Yeah. When you mentioned the diary, I just thought, oh, yeah, that's, it, no doubt that's a, it'd be a similar concept that, that you do. Yeah, planning's pretty new to me. Um, uh, I think um, because there's so much going on, if I, if I didn't plan at least a week ahead, uh, I'd, I'd start to lose track of perspective. And uh, at the moment, um, gigs are a priority, so they're the first things to go into the diary. Mm. And then rehearsals would revolve around that and then... I'd allocate time for other things. But there, there is definitely routine each week, which sort of gives me a heads up and I know what's sort of going to happen each week. But gigs sort of throw you out because you never know when they're going to be. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's, it's good to keep track of things. And, yeah, and to plan ahead. It definitely, definitely helps. Well, it's funny because when you when you say it like that, it's it's one of those things that everyone would sort of just go, "Well, no shit," you know. Of course, you <laughs> you, you hear it mentioned all the time. It's such a, a common term to plan ahead, but it's you know it's one of those things that you just hear and hear and hear, but you don't actually sort of take it in and, until you're practicing it, and you go, "Oh, okay, now that makes sense." <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right, and uh, you know um, even. Little things like knowing you've got a gig in 10 days, so I'll get some new strings. I'll order some new strings for the guitar tomorrow and it'll yeah. arrive in the post and, and it'll be stretched and tuned in by gig day. Uh, just little things like that, making sure that all the cables are working and having practice runs outside of rehearsals. Yeah. <laughs> fresh batteries and shit like that i just had a, ho a whole bunch of horrible thoughts over the years of of you know people showing up to gigs with uh, old strings and stuff breaking on stage yeah. and people people asking to borrow stuff and things not getting returned or the dreaded gaffer tape and no one having any <laughs> yeah yeah and, um you just and you remind me as well which i probably should actually write down i've actually got to go and buy uh, some new some new strings because i've got to record in a couple of weeks so there you go planning ahead <laughs> so, so thank you for planting yeah. those seeds <laughs> yeah no worries you, you you do learn from those experiences like those those stage malfunctions and and letting yourself down with with poor equipment or just not maintaining them um it's it sort of led me to uh being self-sufficient now in in that musical side of of my life mm. where um you know I've got reliable gear and and I can record my own music now and and we we actually make our own merch here at home so we're printing oh, wow. t-shirts as well on some nights and you know making decals and tote bags and trucker caps and all that sort of stuff so um and and releasing EPs that were recorded here at home uh, and mixed and mastered and everything's done here in-house. So it's Total uh, DIY. And that's that sort of led from 
you know, when your guitar strap falls off your guitar mid solo or something, and you're like, I'm not going to let that happen again. And and then it just <laughs> it branches off to, right, I'm going to buy strap locks. Oh, what's that? And then you, you find more stuff. And then next thing I know, I'm buying monitor speakers. Well, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I mean, it, it's. Oh man, I just I'm trying to find all these parallels in everything you do because it's it's this level of preparedness that I think would no doubt be in everything that you do. And and as you mentioned, you said it a few times, like it probably hasn't always been there, but it seems that you've got this I don't know, like do you do you get off on being really, really prepared? Do you like things to be organized? Do you like a bit of structure? Is it because I, I love I love organizing things. I love to have things in in order, and it doesn't always go to plan. Half the time, it's poorly executed. But I love the idea of it. Yeah, I, I really love structure, and I also love um, throwing myself into deep ends of things. And I think that's where it all started. Uh, was around 10 years ago when I was living in Brisbane and I decided to sell everything I had and move to Germany uh, to to be with a girlfriend. Mm. Um, and all I had was a guitar and a backpack. And I lived there, quit my job um, making prosthetics, didn't think I'd ever do it again, and went over there and lived as an artist in a in an artist residency and learned to live on on the basic sort of limits of existence and had no sort of skills sort of coping in a foreign country um even though I'm german uh by default um I never grew up there so it was it was really scary for me. And then when I came back, um, realized that there was so much more to living in Redcliffe. And um, <laughs> uh, I, I needed that cultural fix. And, and I love Brisbane. And, I, you know, it's, it's still home, but yeah. it just didn't give me that thing that um, Berlin did when I was when I was over there and um, so I moved to Melbourne which was the most European part of Australia mm. I thought and uh, never looked back How long were you in Berlin for? Oh, I was only there for about eight months Yeah Yeah Well uh, that's um, it's such a such an out there thing to do I mean I, I know a lot of people sort of they, they'll do the backpacking thing and they'll go away for a while and, and do a bit of traveling but um, I mean you, you went all in yeah I, I think I went there with five five thousand Australian dollars and that lasted me for eight months and and I was pretty much collecting empty bottles and cashing them in for <laughs> full bottles of beer yeah. and <laughs> And just eating sausage and Brussels sprouts for eight months and <laughs> just trying to um, make some money playing music, which was, you know, they were paying me in beer and sausage. So that was it. That was it. <laughs> Sustainable. And my visa ran while. out and I had to go home. <laughs> yeah. Was that the first time you'd gone overseas as well or had you been overseas before? 
I've been overseas uh, a couple of times. As a kid, I I was in the UK. I went to school there for a little bit. Oh, really? Um, and then I went back to the UK just before I finished year 12. Uh, it was in 1989. And I worked in the toy shop over there for a while. Oh, that was my first job. Wow. That was the only other thing I've done apart from prosthetics was working in a toy shop, which was pretty cool. Making yeah. um radio control cars and all that sort of stuff. What well, actually did you say making them? Yeah, building building, building RC cars. Yeah. Yeah, well. Huh. There you go. We actually um we actually our toy shop had the fastest electric RC car in, in the UK and we I think we did eighty three kilometers an hour in it. <laughs> <laughs> That's bizarre. Yeah. <laughs> That's great so cool. fun. Wow. Incredible. <laughs> um, I'm keeping an eye on the time, but I wanted to ask you as well because and and I'll put everything on the on the website and the show notes of all the all the projects and everything you're involved with, but I mean, what's what's the best way to describe some of the some of the music that you've been doing, whether it be your solo stuff or with some of the other projects? Is there is there a common theme across the, a lot of the music, or a common influence, or anything like that, for people to get a bit of an idea of of what sort of stuff you're you're putting out there? Not really. Um, <laughs> I, every project I'm involved in is completely different to the others. Yeah. Um, my solo. Uh, music is all quite dark, very sort of Leonard Cohen, Nick Cave style sort of murder ballads. So m- most of the songs I write are about songs of serial killers and lost love and misfortune and all that sort of stuff. And th- and then I'm in a, a punk band. Well, we've been called Trady Punk whatever that is, but uh, Tumble Turn. Um, We sing songs about buying a sausage at Bunnings and trying to get a plumber on a Sunday and doing cash jobs, fishing for carp and all that sort of blokey stuff. It's just a bit of a laugh. Yeah, we got together just as a laugh. Yeah, for the people. (laughs) Um, And then uh, I play bass for a folk singer, uh, completely different again, very sort of atmospheric, crooner, sort of oceanic tales. And and then our other one is Kalashnik, of course, which is the um, sort of a comedy trio where we all dress up as Russian Soviet soldiers or generals and I play keyboard in that band. We just sing songs about... Um, pedophiles and and uh, <laughs> and um, having a shower and just weird just totally bizarre stuff it's it's like um, Monty Python in Russia on LSD I oh, think that, it just it sounds like such a Melbourne thing it's just so <laughs> it's so out there it's just <laughs> yeah I, now that I think about it that that would not go down well in Brisbane. No, not at all. <laughs> That's cool, though. I mean, geez, I, I think um, I think all of that just ties in with everything else that you're doing. Like everything is just just completely different, and it's all creative. It's just 
it's you just trying to, I don't know, it's scratching an itch, I'm assuming, like this constant itch of just wanting to wanting to do lots of different things. Yeah, I, I think I'd get bored if I was in three or four bands that were all playing the same thing mm. or, you know, making prosthetics during the day and then making prosthetics at home. It, it, I just, I need to do something different every day to sort of keep my brain active. Well, I tell you what, my my brain is I don't know whether it's active, but it I'm I'm drained just listening to all the things that you're doing. I'm 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 getting a similar feeling after speaking with James. It's just incredibly inspiring just to to know people like you guys exist where you're just doing so many different things and you're engaged with so many different people and different things and just being creative and putting yourself out there. Like it's all these things are just from the outside looking in, they're all different versions of yourself. It's different things, different colors of yourself and you're not, you're not limiting yourself just to one thing. And I think it's just, it's, it's really, really motivating. So now I'm sort of thinking, Oh, what else, what else can I shove into my day? <laughs> what do my Tuesdays look like? All right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> It's it's almost like having multiple personalities, I think. Yeah. We have to take on these different personas. Where one day I'm I'm Mr. Murderballard and the next day I'm I'm wearing safety glasses in a punk band with high vis vests on and and the next day we're in a candlelit room playing folk music <laughs> or you know, it's uh, all these different me's. I, I can't keep track of myself sometimes. <laughs> Certainly makes life interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I feel sorry for my wife sometimes. She goes, which Carl are you today? No. <laughs> <laughs> let me check Let me check the day of the week. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm punk Carl today. <laughs> I love it. Oh, man, I'm going to let you go, but oh, far out, man. I've got, I've got a lot of... Um, I got a lot of notes to to write out because there's so many things that you're doing, and I'll, I'll have to pick your brain later on to get some some other things that you mentioned because um, no doubt there'll be heaps of people listening that will will want to check out some of this music that you've been doing and and everything else. So I've I've found a bunch of stuff, but um, I'll have to I'll have to hit you up some, for some other things as well. But I really really appreciate. It. I, I don't know what your Fridays are meant to be on your calendar, but I'm glad that you you carved out a little bit of time to to have a have a chat with me. Ah, oh, no worries, mate. No, it's um, any time. Thanks, everyone. If you want to reach out to Carl, I think the easiest place to go is andysocial.net. I've got everything to his prosthetic work, um, to all the projects, the music projects that he's involved with, these different bands, um, his solo stuff, his artwork, everything will be in the show notes over at andysocial.net. I'll have embedded videos, um, some all sorts of content there, some photos, some really cool stuff. So make sure you go over there. As with every episode, I've got heaps of different stuff from our guests over there in the show notes. So go and check it out. And thank you, Carl. Great chat. I, I think we could have kept chat- chatting for ages. Um, just really, really fun to, to talk and hopefully we can catch up soon uh, for a beer. That'd be really, really cool. Now, before we wrap it up, as always, if you want to support this podcast, you guys know the drill. Sharing it around, you know, 
social media love, love hearting, retweeting, tagging, commenting, all that crap goes a long way. Um, leaving a review somewhere online is also really, really good. That word of mouth does big things for this podcast. You can buy merchandise um, via the lord.net.au or andysocial.net websites. Um, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. It goes a long way. You can support the Self-Starter podcast as well, selfstarter.com.au if you want to check out my other podcast all about small business, self-employment and freelancing as well. But um, all of it helps. So thank you so much, small or big. It just goes a long way and uh, I really, really appreciate it. So thank you folks. Before we wrap it up, I've got two shows for this year for Lord. September 22nd at Max Watts in Melbourne. We are doing, and that's a Saturday night, September 22nd. We are headlining the Metal United Down Under Festival at uh, Max Watts there with a range of, a whole range of awesome, awesome bands. Some of the guys have been on the podcast, some of the other band members. Um, and we're also playing Saturday, November 3rd at the Bullface Stag. We are headlining day two of the Steel Assassins Festival, and that, that'll be a lot of fun. And you can get tickets for both of those shows via lord.net.au or the andysocial.net net websites if you click on the shows shows tab or uh, mosh ticks are selling tickets for both those shows and i think oz ticks are also selling tickets for the melbourne show as well so um, a few different ways of uh, grabbing tickets please um, if you've got the opportunity to buy tickets up front definitely do so um, it just goes a long way to support the promoters who are putting on these shows and in turn the bands and just um further validates these great shows and uh, just helps uh, it just helps everyone so if you've got the opportunity to buy in advance definitely do so and i think that's it folks i'm I'm just going to wrap it up now so as always thank you thank you thank you um another episode in the bag another great uh guest and until next week folks take care larry larry please